All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. We'll be focusing upon those first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I do want to stop just a moment and uh, want to recognize some folks. I I don't do this that often, but just uh, I'm so grateful today to uh, have some dear friends here with us, uh, Don and Kathy Howard. Don and Kathy were members at First Baptist Zachary. I'm sorry if you're in the gathering, you can't see us this morning. It's okay. Kathy is the beautiful one. Don is the so-so one if you happen to see them running around. But Don and Kathy uh, were there at First Baptist Zachary. And when I got there, Kathy was my personnel chairman. And she stayed there for quite a while and uh, helped me grow in many different ways. And uh, I'm very grateful for her. Don was my chairman of the deacons. So I got to work well with both of them. Of course, Kathy grew up here at Temple, part of the Crawford gang. Uh, Mr. Clyde, Miss Carmen, some of you remember her parents, and of course, uh, Doug and Dickie and Gary, and we're grateful to have them here with us. They are kin to some of you. Of course, you have kinfolk everywhere. Uh, I know they're kin to the Alexanders and the Barmores, but to be honest, here in Ruston, everybody's kin to everybody. I've about decided. But I am grateful that Don and Kathy, you're here with us. Uh, You were there with me through some great times and some difficult times. And I thank you for your support, and I'm grateful to see you here this morning. I am grateful to be back. I tell you, 3,800 miles in just a few days, it can have an effect upon you, especially when you have kids traveling with you. (laughs) Leslie's tempted. This week, of course, she posted many of our pictures under my name on Facebook, but she started to post, and I think she may this week, so you'll know it's, we're a real family. She may post to you a video of some of the things that went on in the car. <laughs> Please don't fire me when she does, all right? Just know we're real. We deal with things. We repent of our things, and we go on from there, all right? You know, to see all of God's creation as we did this week, to, to see so many different aspects of it, to recognize that even the most beautiful scenes that we see are marred in sin, according to Romans chapter 8. That even creation groans because it recognizes that sin has had an impact upon it. To see all of that, to recognize that God is going to redeem this world. He is going to redeem, in particular, His children, His people. To know that in all of creation, God looked at us. And he loved us. And he had a plan for us. And he was willing to send his one and only son on our behalf. To think of all of creation. And yet God chose us to love. And to come to the human race. And to give us the hope that we have. That is overwhelming to me. That is overwhelming to me. And it calls me forth to present unto him what I want to say this morning is a life offering. Just a few weeks ago, I began a series on giving, and it talked about joining the story. That's kind of the subtitle of this series, and I think today in this passage, this is where we hear it really come to the base level of us offering ourselves to Him. Before we give anything else, let me just say this, before we give anything else to God, we've got to come to the point where we give ourselves to Him. We have to recognize that He wants us. And I think this is the expressed message 
of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Read along with me silently as I read it aloud. Paul writes and he says, I beseech you, brethren. I beseech you. I encourage you. I go on calling forth for you to present yourselves, he says. Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's Paul. He comes to the church at Rome. He speaks to them through this letter, and he says to them, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to offer yourselves all that you are to God. Now, when I look at verse 1, I see that there's a therefore there. And what's the question we ask? Why is it therefore? What's going on? What has Paul been saying? Well, Paul, in the first 11 chapters of this letter, he's been really describing what the gospel is about. I believe it's the most exhaustive treatment of the gospel in all of the New Testament. He speaks about how God himself sent Jesus for us because we had a sin problem. And he talks to us about what the words justification and propitiation and all these great theological terms mean. He speaks to us about all these things. And then he comes to this point after really giving us this baseline belief, this doctrine of the gospel, he says, now I want to call you to offer yourselves. So I want to give you three truths this morning. I want to share with you three truths about who we are, specifically as we personalize it to ourselves. I want to say this first. When I stand here before you and I hear this passage, I hear what Paul says, I understand that I am consecrated in service. I'm consecrated. I'm set apart. I am different because of the gospel. He said, I want you to present yourselves. Again, he's speaking to believers, right? He assumes that the readers of this letter have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they have responded to the first 11 chapters and that they have given their life to Christ. This morning, I wished I could have that luxury. That everybody in this place that I would speak to would know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I wished I could say that with some assurance. All of those who have reached the age of accountability and the Holy Spirit has worked in their life, that every individual here that has come to that point has accepted Christ. But my friends, I can't live with that luxury. The reality is that none of us could be here tomorrow. I can't have the opportunity to come back to you next Sunday and share with you the gospel. And because of that, I think we have to be reminded of the magnificence of the gospel in those first 11 chapters. Now, I'm not going to try to go back and preach all 11 chapters. Somebody told me this morning they were expecting a 53-minute sermon. Oh, I heard a couple O's. There were some silently expressed as well. I'm not going to go back through all 11 chapters. Let, let me just present it to you this way, okay? Because some years ago, we found a concise way to present the gospel through what we call the Roman road. Many of us have learned this. Many of us have heard this through the years. 
What had Paul said in those first 11 chapters as he had talked about the salvation that these individuals had experienced? He had said to them that all had sinned to come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Everybody, every individual, if you can hear my voice this morning, let me say to you that you have fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned, I have sinned, all of us have. But Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, what we deserve because of our sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we receive that gift, and through that gift, we have salvation. This is wonderful to, to think about Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. So get this. When you and I were sinners and we were rebellious against the God of heaven, God still loved us. Even in that state, God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son for us. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. And of course, Romans 10, 13, the part of that verse says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, that is a very succinct summary of Romans 1 through 11. But isn't it an awesome message we have? How the good news of Jesus Christ has made a difference in our lives. And let me say to you, if you have never been down that Roman road, I encourage you to come this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to give an invitation. And I'm going to tell you to run to this altar and to give your heart and life to Christ. Because it is only through him that you will know forgiveness and salvation. I say to you that Romans 12 is built upon this idea that these that he's writing to have already experienced salvation. They've already come down this Roman road. They've already known the goodness of the gospel. And I encourage you today... To know Christ. To know the salvation in your heart and life. Now those of you who have. Listen. Romans 12. 1 and 2. They, it's, these verses speak directly to us. Because what Paul does is he says. I encourage. I go on challenging you. Notice how he does this. He says. By the mercies of God. In other words. All of that that you've heard me say in Romans 1 through 11 about the magnificence of the gospel, the power of the gospel to change people's lives. He said, now those mercies should drive you to present yourselves as these living sacrifices. If you are saved, hear me this morning. If you are saved, you have been consecrated, you have been set apart for service. There are no people who sit on the sidelines. You know, I'm, I'm not an athletic type of being. Never have been. You probably noticed that about me, huh? When you called me, you did not call me for my athletic figure. I'll get back to that in a moment. A few weeks ago, we were riding along. Rhett looked at me. He loves sports. He said, Dad, he said, were you an athlete when you were in school? And I said... No, I really didn't. I love sports, love being a part, but no, I wasn't really an athlete. He said, I didn't think so. You don't look like an athlete today. 
God has not called us to sit on, sit on the sidelines. He has called us to get into the game. No matter who we are, no matter what we look like, He has called us to be a part of His service. If you're saved, He has called you to serve. He has not called you to take time off. He's not t- called you to call for a time out in your life. He has called you to be a living sacrifice. You are set apart. And Paul says, I encourage you. I want to challenge you to present yourselves. This idea of present, if you were to look it up in the original language, it means something like to make something available. To present yourself, to make your life available to God, to put it in place. I love this one definition that Lou and Ida gave which says, to show to be true, to prove, to present evidence of truth. In other words, when you present yourself to God, what you're doing is saying, God, this is evidence that you have made a difference in my life. I give myself to you as proof that I have accepted your gospel, the good news. I present myself to you for service. Now, I believe that's an ongoing activity in our lives. The tense of this verb is one that speaks to decisiveness. It speaks to, yes, a making up your mind. There comes a point where you have to make up your mind. Stop vacillating between two choices and accept the one truth of the gospel and present yourself decisively to Christ. It is a decisive action. God wants to use us. He wants to use our bodies, literally, to bring glory to His name. So you and I are consecrated. We are set apart. We are different. And He has set us apart we, he, we present ourselves to Him for service. I'm going to get back to that in a moment, but I want to give you the second truth this morning. And that is, not only am I concentrated, consecrated in service, I am consumed in sacrifice. I am consumed in sacrifice. Notice again what it says, that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice. So in other words, that everything that I am, my totality of being, I give to God as a sacrifice. Now I think I need to make a clarification here. You and I do not present our bodies to God as a sacrifice in order to obtain our salvation. I hope you heard when I went through that Romans road a moment ago, there's nothing about... You and I working our way or presenting our own sacrifice before God for salvation. Christ has already done all the work of salvation for us. He was the one true perfect sacrifice. As a matter of fact, you and I, on our best days, we're still not worthy to offer the sacrifice of salvation to Christ. But Jesus Christ... The perfect one gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. So when I say that 
we should offer ourselves. When Paul says that we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices, he is not talking about doing that to obtain salvation. What he's talking about is offering ourselves as a sacrifice because we have been saved. I love what one New Testament commentator said. He said that the New Testament religion is grace and that the New Testament ethics is gratitude. That they go hand in hand, grace and gratitude. John Stott points out that the same New Testament word, the same New Testament noun, does what he calls double duty of expressing grace and gratitude. It seems so evident that when grace is given to us, the natural response is gratitude. When I offer myself, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not trying to work it off because I will never pay that debt. But I come to him in gratitude to offer myself to him, to be consumed as a sacrifice. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, a sacrifice would be offered and it would be consumed. It would be given to God. Generally speaking, it would be consumed either by fire or it would be consumed by the priest. If you go look, basically that sacrifice was set aside for God's work, for God's ministry, whatever it was. It's really interesting to go back and read Leviticus 1 and following to, to remind yourself of that Old Testament sacrificial system, whether it's the burnt offering, the peace offering. It, it's really interesting. I went back and I did that this week. I, I read through those verses, those chapters, recognized how all that was brought to God was consumed in some way, was dedicated, consecrated to Him. And I was especially drawn to those verses that said God was especially pleased with the fat of the sacrifices. I love that. See, that means I'm going to be a good sacrifice one day. Some of you, this is the only way I beat, beat some of you CrossFit people out. Or maybe even Donnie Parkman. I told him this morning. We walked in and somebody said something about Donnie. He said, Donnie, you still eating? And he, he assured us he was. And I told him afterwards, I said, see, this is where one day God, God delights in the fat of the sacrifices. And when I get there, he's going to be proud with this sacrifice. A whole lot prouder than he is. Uh, no, I won't say that, Donnie. <laughs> Let me digress just a moment. I shouldn't say this. But this week, we were, I think, Thursday on a sky lift going down the side of a mountain. And I was holding on tight. I told some of you that I'm... I don't like heights. Don't like them at all. But I got on there with my kids when I was riding down. My girls were sitting by me. Abigail on the other side, Ainsley here. I was trying to hold on to my five-year-old and make sure she didn't slip out. We were talking about it going down, about slipping out. Ainsley said, you know, my five-year-old, she said, you know, Abigail and I, we, we could fall out of here. We could slip out. I said, I know, but we're not doing that. <laughs> hold on. And she said, but you couldn't. I said, what? My five-year-old said, no, you're too fat to fall between the bars. I said, what did you say, girl? She said, I meant, to, now get this, a five-year-old, she said, I meant to say you're too tall. You're too tall 
said, I'm proud of you, darling. You caught yourself. God loves the sacrifice. He loves us giving ourselves to him. Allowing him to consume us and who we are. Listen, I said a few weeks ago, God is not calling us to be donors to the kingdom. He has called us to be active participants in the kingdom. God is not calling us just to give to some charitable cause. He has called us to give our hearts and minds and lives and everything that we are to Him. It's not just part of this this organization that we give to financially. It is an organization. It is an organism. It is called the church where we are part of His plans. I love the way Paul described this as he wrote to the Corinthians in that second letter. As he talked to them about this overall issue of giving, he said to them, as he wrote to them, he said, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So this church had given to his ministry. And get this. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord... And then to us by the will of God. Listen, I am grateful to those who give financially. I am grateful to those who provide resources for the kingdom of God. I am thankful for those individuals who give sacrificially for missions. But folks, it's got to start with your own heart and life. You can't just give resources and expect to see the blessing of God You've got to give of yourself, your heart, your life. You've got to offer yourself as a living sacrifice before God. He wants us. He wants us. I've said before that the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. We are living. That means that we can demonstrate the sacrifice of Christ each day. We can live it out in our experiences. But the problem is that we often take ourselves off of the altar. Here, Paul had said, present yourself as living sacrifice. But sometimes we crawl off. We do our own thing. But God wants to consume all of us. Everything that we are. He says, this is genuine True worship and service. Look at the end of verse 1. Which is your reasonable service. It can literally mean this is your true, genuine, as opposed to the phony, fake. This is your authentic worship and service. Now I love worshiping with you on Sunday mornings. I do. Missed it this last week. Grateful I am to be back with the family of God. But friends, it's not just about what takes place in here. True, authentic worship service is what takes place on the other side of these walls, outside of these walls, as we are consumed by Him, as we let Him consume everything about us. We don't keep back apart. We say, God, all of this is your offering. Lord, all of this is your sacrifice. Lord, we give it all to you. 
Don and Kathy, I remember a young man coming down one Sunday when I was in Zachary, accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior, and said to me, Brother Reggie, I want to be all in. I want to be all in. Never forget him saying that. I've never had heard that terminology before in the moment of salvation. He said, I just want, I want to give it all. I want to be all in. Folks, that's the only kind of Christian we should be. A Christian that's all in, that's consumed. That every aspect of our being, our passions, our heart, everything about us is consumed by Christ. That the fire of the Lord would somehow consume us, bring passion. You remember that older hymn we used to sing? It was entitled, Set My Soul Afire, Lord. That, that chorus, remember? Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Come on, you can sing with me. Make my life a witness for thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for the Lord. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. A little faster than some of you wanted, but that's good. Set my soul afire. We pray that God would set us afire, consume us, and who we are. Let me give you this third truth very quickly. I'm not only consecrated in service and consumed in sacrifice. I am contrasted in the spirit of God. I'm contrasted in spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, there's a contrast. You and I are different. We should be. We've offered ourselves. We've been consecrated. We've been consumed. Now we have been contrasted with what this world would offer us. We're totally different. He says, don't be conformed. That word conformed, it is the New Testament word from whence we get the word scheme. He says, don't be schemed. Don't fit into the scheme or the mold of others around you. Don't change your life so that you'll be like them. Now, I have preached this passage several times. I brought it to your attention some weeks ago. I've read the commentaries. I've looked at the study before, but I had never noticed this, ever. But in verse 2... The word world is not found in the original text. Some of your translations may tell you that down deep, down underneath. You know what the word is? It is the word to this age. Do not be conformed to this age, this time. Now, I'm not saying that the world doesn't try to conform us, but think of this. We conform to the times. I think that is so relevant to us today. It's not just the world. It is the time in which we live, the times that we see around us. The world has always been the same, but now the world has brought to us this time and is trying to squeeze us into its mold. Don't be conformed. Be different. Be contrasted. 
May I suggest to you that we as believers have lost our distinctive voice in this world? Overall, now I'm not saying that everybody, there are people still living for Christ. I understand that. I am thankful for that. But I'm saying overall, those who claim the name of Christ have lost their distinctive voice. Some of you are going to get mad probably. I'm going to say it anyway. Been on vacation. I'm feeling a little spunky this morning. While we have sat and argued over changes in music, strategies, and approaches, what we have done is conformed in doctrine, morality, and lifestyle. Look all around us. While we were sitting arguing about these things, the world itself and the time came in to steal our children and our grandchildren. My friends, I'm going to say to you, there are things that are really important. There are things that this world is trying to conform us into and we need to stand appropriately. Unfortunately, Christian, most Christian businessmen seem to practice the same thing as the world. Christian marriages, they look, they are the same as those of the world. Christian lifestyles look like the world. They're the same. Christian families look the same. Christian churches look the same. Since I've already gone out there, let me just say this. There are some Christian churches that need to take Christ off their name. Those who have given over to the this conforming to the world instead of standing for what is true. I'm all for civic clubs. I'm part of one. But the church is not a civic club. The church is not just an organization to help the community. The church is the living, breathing body of Jesus Christ that should take that message to all that we come in contact with. That is the difference. And we need to be reminded. But yet, we think the same thing. We say the same thing. We do the same thing as the world. My friends, Paul wrote and he said... You are contrasted in spirit. You're not to be conformed. You are to be transformed. Many of you studied this passage before. You know that the word transform is the New Testament word that gives us metamorphosis. That we are changed. There is a real difference. Oh, when I looked at this, I recognized that those two verbs, conform, transform, they're passive verbs. You all love when I speak some grammar to you. I can always see you'd almost break out in a charismatic kind of shout. <laughs> They're passive verbs. What does that mean? That means that you and I, we don't really conform or transform. It means that other people do this to us. The time conforms us. The world conforms us. But get this. You and I don't transform ourselves. That means that somebody else transforms us. You and I do not transform ourselves, but what do we do? We know that the Spirit of the Lord transforms us. I'm dependent upon Him every day to make a change in my life. To help me think differently and see differently and act differently. Paul will write to the Ephesians and he'll even say to them in chapter 4 verses 23 and 24, he says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Transformed. How does that happen? Through the renewal of your mind. It is the instrument of renewal according to this passage. You're renewed. 
you think differently. Why does he give so much emphasis here on thinking? On your mind? Is because belief drives behavior. That's the reason he began with 11 chapters on the gospel and what you believe. And then he went into how you behave. Your belief will drive your behavior. You need God to renew your mind. To renew your thoughts. I need God to do that. I need to love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My mind as well. To give it to him. So that he can renew me. Belief drives behavior. Let me say to you. What you believe about the Bible. It colors everything else. In your life. In your doctrine. If you believe it's just made up of some man-made stories. If it's just somehow been collected through the ages. Apart from God's wisdom and work. Then your belief and your life. I believe is going to be futile. But when you see that this book is God's inspired word. In error without any mixture of error. That God has inspired it and spoken to us in authority. Then that makes a difference in the way you approach things. What you believe about God. If you believe that he is holy and loving at the same time. If you see the attributes of God. That will spur you on to live a life of holiness and love before others. What you believe about the church, just as I mentioned a moment ago. If you think it's just a social club, you'll act that way when you come to the church. Now, I'm thankful for the fellowship of the church. But I'm thankful for the life of Christ that he gives to each and every one of us. And how we bring the presence of God in this place when we come. What you believe about your job. If it's just something to get you by or if it's something that God has given you as a calling in your life, that makes a difference. What you believe about human life. If you believe God is a respecter of human life, then there is no way, there is no way that you can embrace the abortion of babies this day. My friend, if you believe in human life, you cannot embrace racism in your life. If you believe every person has been given the life that they've been given because of God's Spirit breathed into them, it makes a difference. What you believe about marriage, if you believe it's between one man and one woman, then it will drive you to affirm that type of marriage in your own life, in your family, and in this culture. What you believe about salvation. If you believe Jesus is the only way, then that will, that will motivate you to share the gospel of Christ with everybody you come in contact with. We are contrasted with the world. We are renewed by the Spirit of God. Our minds, our thoughts. Paul says... Present yourselves as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed, be transformed. You've been consecrated. You should be consumed. And yes, you should be contrasted with the world and the time that is around you. My friends, I say again to you this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus, you come.
He loves you. He won't see you saved. You are saved. Keep living like it. Or maybe in some cases, start living like it. Present yourselves to Him. Let's pray. Father, how we love you and praise you this morning. And God, I pray that you would take this message. Lord, that you would speak it to individual hearts and lives across this congregation. And God, I pray for those who are lost. That Lord, this morning they would come and they would be all in with you. They would give their lives to you. Accept your lordship. Whether it be up in the gathering this morning or here in this sanctuary, I pray, Lord, that you would just wash across and you would show us your presence. God, for those of us who are saved, God, may this be a day where we just literally present ourselves to you and say, God, here we are. Consume us. Consecrate us. Lord, help us to live lives that contrast with those in our culture. God, we love you. We pray that everything that's done through this commitment time, this invitation, will bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?